Hey folks, season four, episode 23 of the AppSec podcast. On this episode, we're joined by three individuals who were at the AppSec USA conference from Israel, and they were there to speak. So we talk about the AppSec scene in Israel in general, and we also provide a high-level view as to what they were there to speak about. So this may give you some pointers to a couple different talks at AppSec USA that you want to go look up on the YouTube channel. We also want to congratulate Ofer Mayar, who is one of the individuals interviewed here, as he has been appointed as a a member of the OWASP Board of Directors. So we wish him good luck in that endeavor and hope to hear from him again here soon as he starts making stuff happen in the OWASP universe. We hope you enjoy. The Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the AppSec Podcast, where we are at AppSec USA, and I am joined by a collection of gentlemen who are responsible for OWASP in Israel. And so, as we always do on the AppSec Podcast, we're going to start with a couple of origin stories. Um, One of our guests, Ofer, who has actually been with us before, so you've already heard his origin story, but let's go ahead and start with uh, Josh. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us, how did you get started in AppSec? Uh, Yeah, hi. My name's uh, Josh Grosslin. Um, I guess I was always interested in it from school days. I signed up, found interesting technology, security, um, but it took me a while to figure out how to actually make it into my day job. So after doing computer science, I started off in IT risk and then focused on IT security. And now the last few years, I've been working in application security. So now I'm at a company called Comsec Global, which is a large consultancy based out of Israel. And my day job is now application penetration testing, architecture review, and general secure development. So, coming from a, an IT risk background first, how is that? How do you how do you how do you see that impacting your approach to AppSec? Um, I think it gives a wider a wider view of you know, what's what's the the business impact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just looking okay, what is this application? It's also looking at you know, what is the business purpose of this application? What's the business risk of this application? Um, along the way, I also picked up a chartered accountancy qualification, um, and again, that also helps emphasize the business impact, which to me is the big you know, the driver for buying for AppSec. It's got to be, okay, why is this important to the business? Why should the business put priority on this? Mm-hmm. What, what, was that like a certification or what, the qualification that you mentioned? What is that? Um, yeah, that was char- chartered accountancy uh, in the UK. Okay, so it's like a, is it some, it's IT risk specific or is it like finance or? Oh no, that was back in the IT risk days when they offered the opportunity to do chart, regular chart accountancy as well. Okay. And it's something I felt to be a good addition to that. I've always very much specialized on the technology side and technology risk, but it gave that business context, which I didn't necessarily have coming from purely technology background. Yeah, and I think that's missing from a lot of, a lot of people that do pen testing. They're, they're missing that IT risk side of, what's the actual business impact of what I'm doing? They're all about how am I going to break it and not really what is the bigger impact. So that's that's good for people that are potentially getting started in or wanting to get started in the testing side. Understand that business risk and be really good at breaking stuff and you're going to 
make your way to the top of the pile, at least from my perspective. No, definitely. I've got a team of consultants who work with me and I do a lot of report reviews of you know, application penetration test report reviews and a lot of the time I'll come back to them and say, okay, this is, you know, this is a great finding, but let's make sure we're bringing out you know, what is the business risk, what is going to happen to the business if this finding gets exploited. Yeah. And I think that's you know, definitely an important point. Cool. All right, Avi, what, uh, what's your security origin story? If, you, if there was a comic book about Avi, what would episode one look hey, like? Hey, I'm Avi from uh, House Dublin. I uh, started my way as a programmer. I was working as a programmer in a software comp- company. And, you know, asking the annoying questions of why does this work this way and that. I, all of a sudden, I realized the authentication system was really a bit dodgy and flaky. And that was the first time that I started noticing software security issues. Uh, very easy to get past the authentication system to hack people's salaries. Um, but I noticed this as the programmer side. Um, and then in 2001, I got a job as a programmer working for the Israel National Police, which as national police departments go, it's one of the largest. I mean, it's about the size of the New York City Police Department, but different challenges as a national uh, police department. So I was working there as a programmer on software security infrastructure. We were building out um, access control systems for other applications a whole lot of uh, isolation, segregation, and permissions. So that's when I really started getting into, in depth, a lot of security issues. Uh, and from there, I got recruited into a company by the name of Comsec, which you just heard about. But this was long before Josh joined. Um, so there, I, I really like went to school there and spent a lot of time as a software security consultant, more on the white box side of things, more on the uh, um, building uh, code correctly, secure coding, design, uh, and things like that. I spent some time at Microsoft doing uh, security for their fi- uh, their enterprise firewall. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing, that's, I think, where I first started really practicing threat modeling in the Microsoft school. Um, after a few years, I left. I went freelance for a while, and then I opened my own consulting company called Bounce Security, small boutique. And we f- focus on what I call value-driven security, high-end things that bring the most value to your product and not everything that needs to be done. Uh, and that's what I was, was talking about here. My talk was on value-driven threat modeling mm-hmm. and how to take this big uh, monster of threat modeling and be able to apply this to agile workflows. And so um, uh, going back to that whole vulnerability that you found, you didn't change your own salary though, right? <laughs> no? Okay. It, was for, it was the product for customers. So. Ah, it's probably far enough yeah. along in yeah. the you know, history that... Uh, <laughs> But no, I didn't think you so did. It never either. occurred to me to go black hat. I wish it did. <laughs> well, I'm glad it didn't. So, you know, we need more white hats in the world. So, um, I guess one of the main things we want to chat about here is uh, I certainly realized that we should also recognize that Ofer is, is with us as well here. And uh, welcome, Ofer. Uh, thanks for being here with us as well. Thank you for having me again. And so, when I think about you know, cybersecurity in general, you hear a lot of, a lot of about things that are happening in Israel, a lot of startups and a lot of focus. And so I guess if we just logically kind of follow down that, that thread, there's going to be a a burgeoning AppSec community there. And so I'd love to hear when I say the AppSec scene in Israel, what is the AppSec scene in Israel? What does it look like? And, and what's, what's kind of happening there? So I think when you, when you look at technology companies and, and, general around the world, um, ecosystem is a great thing to have around you. And so application security started in Israel pretty early. 
And if you look at some of the first vendors in the space, right? So Imperva was a WAF vendor early in 2000 and AppScan, which was the first DAS scanner, um, they all emerged in Israel. And that sort of kicked off the AppSec scene in Israel. And so around that, more and more companies formed AppSec uh, vendors and technologies and consultancies. And then bigger companies started recruiting people in Israel because there's this ecosystem. So I think that overall, Israel has a surprisingly large AppSec community. And if you look at the AppSec events that we have in Israel, uh, we get almost a thousand people registering. Wow. And, you know, 70, 80% of that showing up in events that it's just huge compared to how, how big Israel is. I think our mailing list has how many now, Avi? Uh, the mailing list, I think, has 1,600. The meetup group has 1,300. Yeah. I don't even know how many on the LinkedIn group. I mean, and, and this is all in a country that's just 8 million people. So it's a fraction of the population of California. So you got to be one of the biggest OWASP chapters then. I mean, I know New York, the metro New York area chapter is huge. You got to be up, and Bay Area chapter is big, but you got to be like top three. Yeah. Um, top five. According to the meetup, according to the meetup, we're the seventh largest OWASP meetup. Okay. Because there's one in like Eastern Europe, is all Eastern Europe, and uh, Germany is a big, is like all of all Germany. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have LA, which is like three different chapters all in one. And um, but, but yeah. yeah Definitely, it's definitely one of the largest ones. Uh, one correction about Ofer's numbers, actually the registrations were uh, closer to 1,500 and we had 850 people show up this year. Okay. So the numbers just keep going up. Yeah, that's, and that's a big event. I mean, that's not quite AppSec USA where we're sitting right now, but it's not too far away from the numbers that we have in this, in this style of event. So, so, what do you, so you, think, you think the reason for that then is, is it the AppSec scene then that's driving this in Israel? Is it... Where, where are all these AppSec people coming from? I think uh, there's a deep culture of paranoia in Israel. Uh, it it's, comes naturally with a culture of being defensive. And yes, we're all cowboys, but we also want to have a very strong perimeter and you know strong, robust systems. Mm -hmm. um, and as cowboys, we tend to see how things break very quickly. Right? Uh, I think... You know, I didn't have the uh, military experience with uh, um, with computers, but there are that's obviously definitely feeds into it. There's a lot of units that we don't know about. There's the AD two hundred, and there's a lot of other units that are not as well known because they're actually better. Um, so there's a lot of history, a lot of uh, uh, technology work going on in there behind the scenes. So eventually, soldiers come out, and you know, they either open startups or join other companies. Yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of talent there. How, is the university system also pumping out some people from a security perspective more than other places? I, I would say that unfortunately that's not the case yet. Okay. Um, there are a couple of, of colleges that are trying to do more security programs, but it's mostly graduate programs, not undergrad. Um, I, I think I, the past few years, some of them are starting to put some into that. And I think that's also partly because we've been doing a lot of interaction with the, the universities. Okay. We're hosted this year at Tel Aviv University. The last few years we're hosted at other technical colleges. So I think that interaction also feeds back the other way also. So they're starting to also have a bit more of a security so program. That's probably a lesson learned for other chapters out there in the OWASP universe that having a partnership with a local 
university is a good good feeder because you must have gotten some people that were just computer science students that just went oh look there's something happening here I think I'll go or teachers that said hey send you know I'm telling you guys get the day off I'm sending you to go and attend this event because it's here on campus so yeah and, and usually you'd find somebody in the university who like a professor that wants to do more in cybersecurity and that's how we can partner with them and that feeds on their internal agenda to build a cybersecurity program in the university. And we've had um, talks in AppSec Israel coming from graduates who put their thesis for talking AppSec Israel. So that was very interesting stuff we got. Yeah, kind of give, gives you some more of that academic perspective that we tend to not, you know, like at least at the big conferences, AppSec USA and EU, we tend not to get a lot of that academic. At least it doesn't, maybe they get submitted, but they don't make it to the final uh, kind of um, setup. So yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. I do want to point out that in addition to the universities and colleges, there's actually a really interesting program going out now in high schools. Oh, really? Led by the Ministry of Education and the Army to the part of the matriculation exam, the one of the uh, uh, choices that students can have is they call it the cyber defense program. Mm. I mean, they don't really learn hacking and stuff like that, which is probably a good thing to not teach a bunch of 15-year-olds with, uh, <laughs> you know, over... Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, what they do teach them is, you know, really in-depth programs. So it's Python, they learn in-depth networking, they understand how to take the protocols apart, they learn the operating systems, so that when they graduate and go into those units in the Army, they already have a very strong basis okay. on how to do those things. And it's a really smart program because up until last year, I don't know what's going on this year, but up until last year, they did an interaction with a lot of people from the industry that experienced people, not just teachers, they brought in people like myself and a lot of other people that uh, with experience in security and programming and brought them in to mentor the high school kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. After the break, we'll hear from the team about how they draw people to come and attend the events that they host in Israel. The Application Security Podcast operates with support from Security Journey. A security belt program provides the three pillars of successful AppSec training. Learning, application, and experience. Visit us on the web at www.securityjourney.com to learn how you can teach and empower your developers using a new kind of security training. With your monthly meetups... What are some of the things that you do to draw all these people to come and attend these events? Um, so we have a lot of really interesting talks. We always get uh, one of the companies to give in some of their recent research, and we have a lot of other interesting talks. Some of them are definitely conference-level talks. Okay. Um, I think one of the big things that a lot of people come to the meetup is actually the uh, community. A lot of people come just because it's such a warm, embracing... They come just... You know, it's kind of like a high school reunion every month, you know, it's like to see everybody and there's always new people there and they come and meet every, all the other people in the industry and it's just a very explosive feeling of community there. And that's, that's another, I think, lesson learned for other chapters out there that are trying to grow. If you don't have that type of a feel in your meetup, then something's not working right. Like these things are supposed to be educational, but also networking. For the people that are that are coming, and if you only fo if you're only getting that one box checked of well, we have great talks, but yet people just kind of get up and walk out at the end, and they don't really. It's like a lecture, and not not a community. I, I think a, an important tip here is always make enough time in the beginning and in the middle 
off your agenda, that is a big break. Because what ha sometimes I see chapters doing, it's like people get there, the talks start immediately, three talks in a row, and then it's done. People will usually not hang out after the last talk. Yeah. It's just normal psychology. True. So if you want to get people to sit and talk, you need to have a proper you know, 20, 30 minute break in the middle. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good idea. It's a good, good thing that other chapter leaders can take away and, and use that. So I guess the other question I had for, for you guys was, um, I'm really curious, you know, kind of a, from a, almost a quick couple of minute answer, what's the most interesting thing that you're working on in AppSec right now? And I'm going to start with Josh over here because I know he's um, done a talk and uh, everybody, everybody here represented at the table is doing a talk in AppSec USA. So, um, but Josh, let's go ahead and start with you. Like, what, what's the most interesting thing you're working on in AppSec right now? Um, so I suppose the main thing that I'm thinking about at the moment is, again, around the, the application security testing. So I think you know, one of the features of these conferences is there's a lot of sort of forward-looking talks, a lot of ways, you know, how you can change your overall strategy. But I think one of the, one of the main points that I see is that most companies, their primary control at the moment is the application security testing, as in application penetration testing, getting someone to come in and, and test their applications. You know, I spoke to some of the sponsors here um, to see if their experience matches mine, and I asked them what they did, and they said, oh, we do application architecture and secure design and assisting developers, and I asked them what the split of the work was between that and the application penetration testing, and they came back with something along the lines of 80% you know, penetration testing. <coughs> and um, so what my, my talk <coughs> here was about was trying to say, okay, look, everyone's doing this anyway. Let's try and build more value into the process. Let's try and think slightly more upfront. Let's try and um, tailor the scope better towards the application, towards the company, to make sure they're getting the, the most value out of that. Um, and to me, the main, main ways of doing that are trying to take as white box approach as possible, trying to be as transparent as possible, to make sure the tester really understands what's going on behind the scenes in the application that they're testing. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, very much maintain a dialogue between the tester and the, the developers, the architects in the application that's being tested um, to make sure that the tester can go to the developers saying, you know, what does this do? What happens when I press this button? What's this process? You know, where does this data end up? And the developer understands better, you know, what is the tester looking for? What sort of things are they going to try and do? What more other information can I give to the tester that will help them provide a more, a more tailored report, a more tailored mm -hmm. service? Um, so that really was the basis of my talk. It was about here are loads of ideas, some of which will be applicable to some people, some of which will be applicable to other people. But hopefully everyone can take these ideas and go away and think, okay, how can I get more value out of this process that we're doing anyway and we're going to be doing for the foreseeable future until tools are developed that are good enough to, to replace that process. So most of the tests that people are doing these days, are they black box with limited communication between the tester, the outside tester and the development team? Like are people not, so are you recommending these things because people are just flat out not doing them right now? I think that's, that's the main challenge. I think that because companies are being required to do them, if they're a big company, maybe they've got regulation that requires it. If they're a small company, maybe they, maybe they have customers that require it. And I think a lot of companies maybe see it as a, as a checkbox, say okay, we just need to get this done, so we've got a piece of paper and we can, and we can move on. And I think that, again, if they're doing it anyway, they can put that little bit of um, extra effort in there, extra thought in, and really get a much 
great result, much uh, more high value result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and I think a lot of times those tests happen in that the company is just like, hey, I just want to, I just want to get this done. I don't want to have to. This is a checkbox moment. Like, I just got to check the box that says that hey, I did the test versus actually wanting to get good positive security change as a result of the findings. So yeah, I think I think the black box part comes from yeah, as a, as a direct result of that saying, okay, let's just let's just get this started. We'll find a tester, we'll throw them some URLs, we'll throw them some users and say, knock yourself out. Yeah. Um, and what happens is that the tester doesn't necessarily know as well what's going on behind the scenes and you know, if they could ask a few few straightforward questions, a few clarifying questions or I mean, you can even go a lot, a lot further. I've had tests where they provided me with the source code to the application, and suddenly, instead of spending an hour, two hours tailoring payloads to try and guess what's going to go past, I'm just looking at the code, see what that particular function does, see what payload is going to work, mm-hmm. and I'm done. And ultimately, I've spent the same amount of time, but I've had time that I spent guessing payloads, and now spending working on other areas of the application, other possible vulnerabilities. Okay, versus, yeah, versus crafting the attacks and spending their time figuring out things that you can see in the source code, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I mean, what do you see as far as the kind of skill level? I mean, one of the complaints I hear a lot of people, I work with a lot of different companies, and there seems to be a, a pretty large divide between kind of what, of abilities that exist by penetration testers. And so, is there really kind of a bottom feeder type of layer of apps, app testers, do the, the, the scanning testers still exist out there? The ones that run the scanning tool and, and then give you, send you the report for $25,000 or something? <laughs> I haven't seen it personally, but there are, there are people in there nodding their heads. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I, I, as, as part of other, other projects I've worked on that are not strictly penetration testing, I've seen other reports. I've been less impressed. Um, I think that that, that, that does exist and you do risk that you end up with a report where you read it and you think, okay, well, that doesn't seem like a finding to me or maybe that is a finding, but if it wasn't for the fact that I've been doing this for years, I wouldn't necessarily understand why it was important. Yeah. Um, and again, one of the big suggestions I came, I brought out yesterday was in the talk was get sample reports from the tester. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what you're getting at the end, then you're, you're going to run the risk of you know, even, if, even if they've got skilled testers, if they can't articulate that in a report, if they can't produce a report that's really going to explain to you, okay, here's what you need to do and here's why you need to do it, then you haven't necessarily got that value. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, kind of a value approach to the kind of the, the penetration testing side. So, Avi, then you're kind of focused on the value-driven threat modeling. Yeah. So um, your talk wasn't called value-driven penetration <laughs> testing, though, right? No, although maybe we should coordinate. It would have been like a nice kind of connection. Done a double too. Yeah. So value-driven threat modeling. I mean, what is that? What does that actually mean? I mean, I've done a lot of threat modeling. We've had probably ten episodes of this podcast with everybody's kind of idea about threat modeling. What is value-driven threat modeling? So threat modeling gives a huge amount of value. It's a great thing to be doing, except that there is a very strong correlation of diminishing returns. So you get most, what's the point of doing threat modeling? To build secure features. And you can do that with probably, you know, 20, 30% of the effort that you do in a full-size threat model. And you get most of the value out of that because you're building the secure feature. Sure, there's a huge amount of value to to be squeezed out by doing full-size, really rigorous, um, you know, very formal threat model. 
but you can get the developers and you can scale a lot better if you do minimal amount of, I call this minimally viable threat model or just enough threat model. Okay. And that's something that you can translate for developers to be able to do as part of the regular process. Because if you try to get them to do a full-size threat model, it's not going to happen. Or they'll do it in the least useful way possible. Developers are smart people. <laughs> they know how to get around any kinds of uh, things that the rules that they don't want to do. But if you give them something that's easy and simple and that they feel that they should be doing anyway, then they'll do that. And they, again, get most of that value out of it because they're building secure features, which is the point. Yeah, and I, I always think about, like, you know, I spent a lot of time studying developers and thinking about how do we best interact with them. And, and a lot of security people don't realize that developers actually have a flow to how they work. And they don't, they don't work like... Like, you know, there's like the, the manager versus maker schedule. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It was on posted on Y Combinator 20, 15 years ago or whatever, but it's still valid today. And that the manager schedule, we have meetings every 30 minutes and our schedule is completely booked. The maker schedule, the developer, is somebody who that kill that kills their flow. If you give them a meeting at 1030 and one at 230, you've almost killed their whole day because they can't get back in the zone already. And so when I think of like, when I hear value-driven threat modeling, I'm thinking of something that fits inside of that flow. It's in their normal process yeah, and how they work. And it doesn't, it doesn't cause them to have to leave and task switch away from the way that they're already working. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly that. Okay. Ofer, what, um, what are, what, what's the most interesting thing in AppSec that you're uh, working on these days? So it's interesting we got to the developer workflow because I think that's probably what I spend most of my time on now. Um, so I'm also looking at application security testing uh, from a tools and automation perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think finding the right way to fit it into the developer flow is today our biggest challenge. And I think, you know, I've been preaching to get developers more involved in application security for most of my career. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think what's now is making the case for us is the move to faster development, the move to CI/CD. Uh, to pipelines that have a much faster cadence. So if we talk about developer workflow, it's much faster now than it used to be. And these interruptions that security causes are a killer to this process. Mm -hmm. And so what I've had my talk about today is, is um, how do we build a way to do test automation, security test automation as part of this workflow of continuous delivery where we get organizations pushing hundreds of updates every day into production. How do we find a way to do this efficiently, but at the same time to manage risk? And basically what I'm talking about is having parallel tracks of testing where some of them are inline, are part of that process, mm -hmm. and can be run by the developers and used by the developers because they are completely integrated in their workflow and they're easy and they are instant and they don't disturb the developers. And they do a certain amount of risk reduction for us, right? They don't find everything, but they find a lot and help us fix it. And then we have parallel tracks that are slower, where we can have the more rigorous testing, the deeper testing, maybe driven by security people at this point. But these don't interrupt the cadence of releases of the CACD, but rather creates entries in the backlog so that they can fix in a certain period of time. Mm. And so you've got that kind of in your model, you've got that completely automated. So the parallel tracks then are feeding back into the backlog with, without, without, or is there a person that has to watch those parallel so, tracks and put in issues? So in? the fast track has to be fully automated. It can have zero human interference in it mm -hmm. because then it's too slow. 
And then the slower tracks, that depends already on what you know, want. Maybe you don't have resources, so you're going to bring managed services. So there's already you know, human interference there, but that's fine because that's on a slower track and it doesn't slow down your developers. Uh, maybe uh, you want to have you know, full rigorous pen testing at the end and somebody to look and decide what's high priority, what's low priority. That's fine. We're not going to be able to automate every single security process in the workflow, mm -hmm. but we need to understand that every uh, workflow that is not automated has to be on the side on a slower track and not become a blocker to the normal release cycle. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, um, so yeah, I think what I'd like to do for our listeners is the, one of the beautiful things about AppSec USA is that they record and publish the talks after as well as the slides and everything. So um, I think we've given the listeners enough of a description and kind of an abstract of what each of your talks are actually going to going to be about, so that they can then go and check out kind of the full versions. But um, Avi, can you just give us the full name of your talk so that when people go to look it up, they'll they'll know what it is? Value driven threat modeling. Okay, and Ofer. Scratching the surface of your CV. Okay, and Josh. Uh, how to get the best AppSec test of your life. Wow. Josh is the best marketing title right there out of all of you. Sorry, but that's, that's a great marketing title. To be fair, I, I, I may have based it off a pre-existing talk, but uh, yeah. I based it off sort of the parallel. And the, the intro to my talk was basically saying, if you're a security tester and you want to give a better test or you want to know new techniques, new methodologies, there's loads of resources out there. But yeah. if someone wants to get a better test, um, they didn't so much. So I based it off one of the uh, talks about giving a better test. Yeah. So, Mirrored it. No, that's good. Well, well, gentlemen, thank you for uh, taking the time here out of your busy schedules at AppSec USA to, uh, to provide this interview. And I'll encourage all the listeners to go and check out the recordings of these talks when they're posted in the next couple of months. And uh, have a great rest of AppSec USA. Thank Thanks you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and visit the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Bourne and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.